Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Today, we are sitting down with Jonathan Darty. I know, when you saw the spelling of that name, you did not think it was pronounced that way, right? I sure didn't. Um, but anyway, Jonathan Darty is uh, really one of the pioneers of podcasts in this kind of purity and recovery space. Uh, the guy is just a legend and very humble. Uh, probably one of the humblest people you'll meet in this space. And I had the privilege of sitting down with him probably about eight months ago. I interviewed on his podcast. And afterward, I was like, hey, can I pick your brain? I know you've been in this space a long time. I have a couple questions. And I honestly, like, I, I couldn't keep up with the notes. Like, I grabbed a, a pad and a pen, and I was just writing, trying to keep up with all the wisdom that he was pouring out. And, and that was, you know, kind of about just starting a ministry and how to kind of grow it and being faithful with what God's given you. But um, it was really symbolic of just who he is and what he has to offer. Uh, there's a great depth of wisdom. His his messaging is simple. He, he's not complicated by any means. He really loves Jesus. He's very expressive about his faith. And it, it shines through and not only in him, but in the work they've done, Be Broken Ministries is uh, well, I don't, I don't know if it's world-renowned, but it's certainly re- renowned in North America. They have uh, a really uh, prolific event that he talks about in this podcast. And, um, and anyway, they're, they're just, they do a bunch of amazing things. And really, what I want you to, to gather, just as you kind of get ready for this interview, is that Jonathan has a, a really simple message about recovery that is super relatable, but really practical, really applicable. And it's going to give you a paradigm and a framework that you can basically put to use today. And that's what we're all about here. We want you to get stuff that you can start applying now. We don't want you to just get a message that you then have to go through seven steps before you can finally apply it. So you can sign up for the program. So you can then wait another three months to talk with the coach and blah, blah, blah. Um, we just we want you to listen and to leave empowered. And uh, I really believe we accomplished that in this interview. So I know you're going to be blessed by it. Um, I do want to read his, um, his bio just so that you get kind of a, a clearer picture of what to expect. Um, and the last thing, you know, I'll just say is we're, we're kind of tinkering a little bit with how we handle these guests because you guys have now heard from a plethora of guests, right, who have overcome pornography and they've started their own thing and that's all great for them. And so initially I thought it was so fun to hear their stories, but now I'm like, okay, I don't want this to just be people sharing their stories. I want people to really get the goods. So I hope we accomplish that. But if you have, I don't know, if you have any other kind of uh, feedback, I guess, or maybe you want to hear more of the story, I'm still kind of figuring that out. And I'm not ashamed to admit that. And if you do have any feedback for me, uh, you can write me in. That would really help me. All right, here we go. Jonathan Darty is the founder and president of Be Broken Ministries and founder of the Gateway to Freedom Workshop for Men. Jonathan also hosts the weekly podcast, Pure Sex Radio, and is in demand nationally as a speaker on sexual purity and men's issues. He has appeared on The Oprah Show, twice on ABC's Nightline, as well as other radio and television media, both local and national. He has authored Grace-Based Recovery, The Four Pillars of Purity, Secrets, and Other Works. Jonathan is married to Elaine, and they have three adult children. His home is in San Antonio, Texas, and his interview is coming right up. So here's the million-dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives, and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question. 
and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Awesome. Well, Jonathan Darty, welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. It's an honor and joy to be with you. Yeah, so we got connected through a mutual friend, Sean Bonito, who was on the podcast here not too long ago. And um, I had heard about you guys way back. I mean, not quite when you started. I think when you started, I was still rife with my addiction and just kind of con- contently telling myself that one day I'll, I'll quit when I want kind of thing. But, um, but I did hear about you guys pretty early on in my recovery journey and really felt honored to connect with you and to be on the podcast. And um, to have you back here is, is really cool. I'm, I'm wondering if you can maybe start by just telling us a little bit about who you are and maybe for those who don't know what PSR is, what Be Broken Ministries is about. Just give us maybe kind of the Coles Notes summary of that. Yeah, so uh, Pure Sex Radio is actually a production of Be Broken Ministries. So Be Broken was founded, I founded it in 2003, and uh, it was really born out of uh, my own personal recovery from porn and sex addiction that started all the way back when I was 12 years old and introduced to porn. And then I'm sure your listeners have heard a lot of stories on, hey, guys get introduced to porn or some kind of sexual trauma in their life early on. And then it becomes kind of this lens through which everything in life gets filtered and becomes a stronghold. And that's really was my story. I have so, a curiosity. I was just going to ask, how, how did you get exposed? Because there, there's a, a small generational gap between you and I. And um, I know for uh, the younger listeners, we, we hear first exposure and we assume it was digital. Um, but, uh, but I'm curious for you, what was it, Jonathan? Yeah, for me, it was actually a, uh, a friend showed me a Playboy magazine that was stuffed into a hollowed out tree stump in the middle of an empty field. And uh, from my generation, it was you would be amazed at how many guys got first introduced to porn because it was either in a trash can somewhere or it was in an alley or it was blowing down the street, you know, a picture or a page of pornography. I can't wow. tell you how many stories I've heard from my generation or earlier that that was one of that was one of the ways they first got introduced. And so, yeah, mine was print. This was this was long before the internet was around. Um, and so that's in some ways I man, my heart really, really is so heavy for uh, guys growing up in the current generation, in the current world that we live in. Because, you know, when I think about back on my childhood, there was a built in, um, there were built in obstacles to actually mm-hmm. getting access to pornography that no longer exist. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that you had to have something literally printed out in order to, for you to see or an actual you know, way back in the day, VHS video cassette that you have a VCR player to even see this material. Whereas now all of those limitations of access are are gone. And that makes it a lot more challenging. And also it makes it a lot faster that guys can get completely hooked and addicted to pornography today than than when I grew up. But that yeah. all that said is when I when I finally got into recovery in uh, 1999, which that may be before some of your listeners were born, but still, uh, it was a long time ago. And uh, when I first started my recovery, that's when just this huge shift started happening in my life and seeing for the first time just what my secret had done, what living a double life was doing, how it was not only harming 
my perspective in my own heart, but it was damaging relationships. It was certainly skewing my view of God, um, a lot of things like that. And it's through that process of recovery that by the time 2003 rolled around, um, God was calling me into full-time vocational ministry in this area. And that's when Be Broken started. So since 2003, I've been telling my story and trying to help other guys. And and we try to help men, women, and families uh, to move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ. That's our main mission. It's amazing. No, it's, it's, it's beautiful. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the recovery methods when you were pursuing freedom in 99, you said, because today recovery is like, yeah, you hop on a Zoom call with a guy uh, or in a community, uh, it's a Facebook group, it's courses, it's all, you know, the methods are, are different now than they were back then. What, what did it look like in 1999? Yeah, and I would say that the the methods definitely change. We just we we need to keep in mind that the principles are timeless. Yeah. So, uh, the the method of counseling for me was literally driving to an office and sitting in a room with a counselor in order to try to get help from a counseling perspective. Yeah. Um, community looked like again going to a group, a location, and connecting with other men, um, and and so that was it was very much face-to-face, any kind of uh, content was driven by either some kind of workbook or some printed material that you could go through. Um, Some of that was done in group environments. Some of it might have been for personal benefit through either a book or a workbook. Um, And then some of that might have been one-on-one and let's sort of say a mentoring relationship. And I think all those principles, the principle of, hey, we need, we need, we need counselors and mentors in our lives. We need people that that, that have the knowledge and the expertise and maybe even some of the experience of recovery in order to speak into our lives. We need, guy, we need other guys in a group type setting where we can just say, hey, I just need to feel like I've got some peers, some, some fellow journeymen who are kind of the same stage of recovery that I'm at. Um, yeah. We need the principles of confession and repentance. We need those principles of faith that are so important in terms of recovery. But yeah, you're right. The methods today... <laughs> don't look the same as they did back then. And I, I, I caution myself as well as others to try to consider any singular method as yeah. better or worse than another one. Cause it's yeah. kind of like, Hey, it's just a delivery vehicle. It's not, not, let's, let's keep the principles in mind when we're trying to help men recover. Yeah. I mean, it's only a matter of time before the methods we have right now pass away and there's something else that everybody's gravitating towards anyway. Um, I wanted to ask you this, and I had mentioned this before we hit record, but you know, like today for Sathya to start his ministry, he can sign up for an account with Anchor or, you know, one of those podcast platforms, basically hit recording and you can launch and away you go, you're accessible around the globe. People are already listening to podcasts and it's, it's easy. Like, I mean, it's still hard work, but there's an ease to it. You launched Pure Sex Radio in 2005. So this is like before smartphones. The, the internet, I suppose, is starting to become mainstream, but I wonder if you can just tell us a little bit about why you chose that avenue to begin with. I think in hindsight, you look like a genius because you were one of the first voices to, you know, uh, make yourself available in this arena. But back then, I can't imagine that would have been an easy thing. And I'm just curious how that all came about. Well, you know, when you have a message that you that you believe in and and I certainly did. I mean, God called me in a ministry with three words, tell your story, which really better translated is it's telling his story. In other words, in terms of what he has done through my life, hmm. you want to continually think about ways that you can 
for lack of a better term, increase your platform to be able to try to actually reach more people with that story. Well, back then, I mean, when I started the ministry, I mean, I'm going around to local support groups. I'm talking to any, any pastors that would actually talk to me because most of them were like, hey, we don't have that problem here or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I realized I, we developed a relationship with a local um, radio station. Uh, the Christian radio station that they said, man, we have ne we've never aired anything like that sort of message because we were totally focused on um, sexual integrity. And they said, you know what, we'll, we'll give you a slot. And so we just started recording uh, programs. Um, I learned a lot because the first five, four or five broadcasts that I did, I, it was just me. So I'm just trying to kind of be this talking head. And I realized real quickly, I gained a whole new respect for any of the, the people out there that are just uh, an individual doing a podcast or an individual, like without guests or without, cause it was, it was terrifying. It was very difficult. Cause I'm thinking, you know, on radio, especially this was before you had the ability to, you know, trim things up or anything like that on radio, you know, four or five seconds of dead air is, catastrophic. Yeah. So you kind of have to keep your mouth open. You got to keep talking. You got to keep saying things. And I, after about the fourth or fifth episode, I realized one thing is I, I falsely assumed, well, I must have said everything that there is to say on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing was, I can't keep talking like that. I, I can't keep that energy up. So that's when I actually yeah. pulled in who is now my co-host, Steve Cervantes. He's a counselor that I've worked with and he and I have been doing the pod. Well, the radio program, and then it turned into a podcast uh, ever since then. But it definitely was a challenge. Um, I will say this from a production standpoint, our original quote unquote studio was a corner in my office that we had hung these um, sound proof or sound uh, uh, like these baffle type things to just try to deaden the sound. And there was just a little little table with a couple of mics and like a mixer on there. And that was it. That's wow. where it all started. So yeah, that's amazing. Uh, really, really amazing. And again, I just think people don't don't appreciate necessarily um, some of the efforts that you guys had to go through. I say you guys as in the people who were just early, you know, early to the game to kind of get these messages out and uh, and really, really appreciate it and, and deeply respect it. You guys do a lot of work with leaders. I know you have a, a, a summit uh, annually that takes place that really helps leaders and, and resources the church. I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about the areas you focus on at those events and, and in general when you're talking to leaders because you're you're speaking to a bunch of leaders jonathan who are listening to this podcast who uh you know some of them maybe lead businesses and organizations but some of them are leading churches as well and i think regardless of what you're leading you carry a responsibility in this arena uh what are what are some of the areas you guys are, are addressing these days yeah so first of all the primary audience that we're dealing with is we're dealing with uh, pastors ministry leaders and then what we would call caregivers you know you're counselors, coaches, mentors, and that. And then of course, anybody who we like to say is a, you know, is a concerned citizen who cares about these topics, who wants to learn from a leader perspective, we invite to this summit and it's called the Sexual Integrity Leadership Summit. And um, yeah, we've been part of that and it's really been a collaborative effort. So we're just one of many organizations that have come together to try to pull that together. But a lot of the the focus is really helping the 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 church locally, but also the church at large to understand what does it mean to promote what we're calling gospel-centered sexuality. So first of all, what is God's design? 
for sex and sexuality since he's our creator? What does that mean? And then how do we actually effectively not only communicate that message, but then through that message, respond to all the various aspects of sexual brokenness? So rather than us starting with the problem, so to speak, which is can be as many as there are people on the planet, yeah. we want to start with the design. And so therefore that idea of gospel-centered sexuality and how does our sexuality actually reflect the gospel and how is it meant for us to bear God's image as male and female? And then from that very clear understanding of how God's designed us to operate sexually, then you have issues of pornography and all these other kinds of things that then we can, through that lens, we can help a person kind of find their way in terms of recovering from those things, breaking free from those strongholds. And so the everything that happens at the summit is toward that end of trying to train these various audiences of pastors, ministry leaders, and caregivers towards that understanding of communicating gospel-centered sexuality. That's amazing. And do you find that the leaders have to, I guess, do the work themselves? Like, I mean, I know the stats are there as well, that ministry leaders are not exempt from the struggle with uh, sexuality in general and certainly porn specifically. So do you find that they're, are they kind of doing the work themselves? And as they experience that breakthrough and that growth, they're then able to impart it to their congregation? Or what does it look like exactly? Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's one of the key things about this leadership summit is we are not we are not coming together as those who are making any kind of declaration that we're not also in process, that we're not also part of those who we are teaching. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, in, in fact, one of the core elements that I learned early on in my recovery that was absolutely necessary for a person who's going to live with any kind of integrity, sexual integrity or otherwise, is you have to have a learning posture. You can't ever get to a point. I don't care if somebody else puts the label of expert on you. You can't ever get to the point where you actually think of yourself as an expert. <laughs> yes. It's it's kind of like, I mean, the, the Bible even says, hey, you know, be careful that you stand lest you fall. So the idea is don't think that somehow just because somebody, you know, people have even put, tried to put that moniker on me. Oh, you've been in this space for so long. You must be an expert in this area. It's like, hey, I'm still on the journey. Yeah. And if I ever lose the learning posture, then I'm I'm on a slippery slope then. So yeah. absolutely, the people that are coming to this, this is not about uh, coming to something where there's going to be some sort of hierarchy of, of, you know, integrity or hierarchy of character. It's like, no, we're all in this together. In fact, one of the things I, I appreciated something you said before we got on air here was this idea that we're on the same team. You know, we don't need to have a competitive spirit. We need to have a collaborative spirit yeah. around this. And so that's a huge part of this leadership summit is trying to create and cultivate that collaborative spirit so that we realize everybody's got unique strengths. Everybody's got unique ways in which they have, well, you talk about methods, right? Unique methods. Well, hey, let's see how we can celebrate those and promote those collectively rather than trying to kind of elbow our way into our market share or whatever. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. So, okay. I, I, so I'm not going to slap the label expert on you, uh, but you, you have been doing this for a long time. And I'm curious, what are, what are some of the things that you've just learned in doing this kind of work for 20 years? And I guess maybe a follow-up question would be, what are some of the things that are actually the exact same today that people are still struggling with this today or, or this thing will kind of always be, because I think, Again, we've sort of addressed some of the elements that are, are transient, you know, the methods that are here. But the reality is people healing from their sexual brokenness, it's always going to boil down to, I imagine, a couple of the, the key things that you're probably seeing over and over again. So I'm wondering if you can just maybe talk about both elements there. 
Sure. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I learned both personally as well as then getting into this work professionally was that sexual addiction is really not at all about sex. Um, I had, you know, you kind of make the assumption, well, we've, we've titled it porn addiction or sex addiction. So clearly it must be about porn or sex. And the reality is when you start digging into the layers of it, the, the porn or the sex behaviors are merely the symptoms of whatever is actually going on at a deeper level. And some of the things that that I have seen over the years that are always consistently there as some of those core issues, um, one of which is this, there's a sense of false identity. There is a false notion of self. And that comes from, that's going to be born out of kind of whatever your worldview is. And um, to be honest with you, there's a lot of Christians that don't actually have a Christian worldview. (laughs) I mean, they've got a... And what I mean by that is, is there's there's one way of, that we can think about things. There's a whole other way that we live our lives. Right. That's what I mean when I say there can be a lot of Christians, people who profess Christianity. And I'm not saying they're not actually believers, but they're living from a whole other place in their heart. They're living from a whole other identity that is not true about themselves. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I've seen that's always present on some level is that there are some kind of traumas in a person's history. Um, these can be what we might call major traumas all the way down to what we might call minor traumas. That's irrelevant. The fact is there's been something in this person's history that have been events or maybe a series of events or maybe even environments, entire environments that have been overwhelming to their system, emotionally, physically, spiritually, that they don't have a point of reference for being able to know how to respond to those things. And almost like on a subconscious level, then they're drawn to whatever relief is available. And man, porn becomes a huge relief. And I'm not saying, I'm not narrowly, I'm not trying to be reductionistic. I think, you know, I know some people have said, hey, you know, we've sort of gotten away from the whole, everything's born out of a wound, you know, uh, model. But the reality is, is when you actually do the research, when you actually start digging into the individual's lives that come in front of you, you realize nobody's gotten to this point in their life unscathed. I mean, yeah. (laughs) everybody's been hurt in some way. Everybody's got some kind of wound, some kind of trauma. I'm not saying that there's always a, a direct link from whatever that, that wound, that particular wound might've been to their behavior, but there's almost always an indirect route there. Yeah. And one other thing that I've also seen at the core that seems to be unchanging is that uh, a lot of times there's a, there's a, there's a disconnect between a person recognizing their legitimate needs and how to actually meet them in a legitimate, healthy way. Hmm. So for instance, I'll give you an example that I've seen over and over again. There is absolutely a legitimate need for every human being to, to be affirmed, to be celebrated. Right. And so the, the problem is, is that if you take that legitimate need to be affirmed, you've got traumas, you've got a false sense of identity then you're going to be seeking that affirmation in ways that might not actually be helpful or healthy for you. Hmm. And a lot of times pornography or other kinds of ways that we try to seek that affirmation. I want to feel good about myself. I want to feel, you know, included. I want to feel like I belong. I want to feel like people are embracing me. Well, you start layering some of these things on top of each other and you're going to find yourself in environments or maybe even with people or, or in circumstances that there's a type of affirmation there, but it's not necessarily 
giving you what your soul really needs or, or actually affirming you in the way that God designed you to be affirmed. And so there's just, those are some of the things that I've seen that, that haven't really changed, even though the manifestations of what that might look like in porn use or sexual acting out or identity issues may look different now than it did 20 years ago. Yeah, that's really well said. And I, I agree that those are probably some of the most fundamental concepts anybody has to kind of understand and master if they really do want to experience, you know, sexual health and long-term sexual integrity. On the flip side, I'm wondering, Jonathan, if there's anything that you're like, oh, I wish, I wish 20 years later we still weren't talking about this or we weren't using that language or is there anything that's kind of stuck around that you wish maybe would go away? Well, it's interesting because I, I tend to be a little bit of a, a word nerd. <laughs> and the thing is, is there's, there's part of me that wants to, uh, you know, I, I sometimes want to hang on to some things because I'm like, Hey, there's still value in that, or there's still something. And I, sometimes I'll even find myself trying to convince people that there's still value in that. For instance, okay, we've got the word purity, right? Yes. Oh my goodness. That's like, it's like a four letter word now, isn't it? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. even if you say that word, then people, it's sort of like if you stick a certain political affiliation, you know, sign out in your front yard, all judgment is made about you regarding because of that one, you know, emblem or whatever. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, I look at that as one of those things where it's like, well, are we going to necessarily say that everything that has to do with that word now needs to be completely discarded and dismissed? And so I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of in that camp where I'm like, hey, I get it. I get it. I get that that can be triggering for some people. I get, I understand the whole purity culture thing. I get the incompleteness that was part of that message that really harmed a lot of people, especially singles, really mm -hmm. harmed them in terms of being able to understand from a biblical standpoint, well, can I actually still be a sexual being yeah. as designed by God in, in my maleness or my femaleness if I don't get married? Because yeah. basically the purity message, the purity narrative was essentially saying, you know, you're kind of nobody until you get married. So just hold off on <laughs> on the idea of hold off on sex until you're married almost almost meant hold off on being a sexual being until you're married. Yeah. And so it was like just right. completely discarding the entire single population, um, as well as then how does that narrative fit with dealing with any ab sexual abuse? Where mm -hmm. does that put you? Because if yeah. you've crossed that, you're no longer a virgin line or whatever. So I understand that and how then that, that word got attached, that single word got attached to everything about that. Mm -hmm. And I want to be sensitive to that. So I'm not going to try to, you know, uh, force that word into anybody's vocabulary. Well, at the same time, there may be other ways that we can address some of the, the beauty of what some of that word can symbolize and maybe we can find other language to do it. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I do think that gets back to the method question. Yeah. Even with language, are there ways that we can be sensitive without completely tossing out good ideas, but maybe using new language to convey them? Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. It's funny. Purity is definitely the one that came to mind for me as well. And um, I know sexual integrity is kind of more the way to, to say it these days, but uh, but I totally agree. And obviously, I mean, you guys are still called Pure Sex Radio. Like, I think there's huge value to the whole concept, right? It's just making sure it's conveyed the right way. Um, you have this framework, Jonathan, called grace-based recovery uh, versus performance-based recovery. 
and I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about it. And I don't know if it's maybe something you had to go through yourself. I know you're certainly walking people through it in your own ministry, but give us that framework because I think uh, for the people who are listening, who are struggling and wanting to eliminate sexual behavior, unwanted sexual behaviors from their life, uh, a, a framework like this could be really valuable. Yeah, so a lot of this uh, was was born out of my own journey, um, and just wrecking. And then after ten years of being in full time ministry, uh, realizing you know what, almost all of the environments that I walk into, even in a church based environment, um, they're performance based, and mm-hmm. and ninety nine percent of them don't even realize they're performance based. And I think it's because the, the human heart is so naturally inclined towards uh, wanting tasks to complete, wanting control, um, wanting credit, that we are naturally going to go towards something that's performance-based, meaning um, my, my measurement, my value as a human being is going to be based on my performance. Yeah. Now we can we can speak as Christians all the time about how no you know your value is based on the word of God and you know you're made his image and all that but again sometimes what we have in our heads and what we actually live from our hearts are not in line with each other. Hmm. So the idea of grace-based recovery is I started realizing okay w- what needs to happen in these environments if real recovery is going to happen if real freedom and joy and peace and all the things that our hearts really long for is going to take place. Well we need to know fundamentally that being made in God's image is a value that cannot ever change. In other words, your value as a human being is intrinsic because you are made in the image of God. So from that place of your value never changing, in other words, your worth is established by God. And by the way, if anybody listening is curious as to what that value actually is, then I would say, look to the cross of Jesus. That's how valuable you are to God. You're worth the life of his only son. And since before God, there is nothing more valuable than his own son. That's the worth that he's placed on you being made in his image. Hmm. So here's the thing. If we can establish that baseline that, hey, anybody who comes into this environment, anybody who comes into this group, this grace-based recovery environment is not going to have their worth change no matter what they come in with. No matter what their performance was this last week, no matter whether their behavior was like hitting home runs or whether they were striking out all week long, your value is established being made in God's image. Well, now and now we can actually get to the real work of recovery, because I, th- I feel like until we get to that place where you can come into a space, Sathya, and realize, listen, you are not going to be judged based on your performance in terms of how valuable you are as a human. That's established. That's like concrete. It will never change. Now, when you come into a group, if you've had a great week, guess what? We're going to celebrate that, but we're not going to say that you got it more valuable. Yeah. (laughs) In some ways, it's going to keep a sense of like a level head and some humility and recognize, hey, when I when I have a great week, I I can give credit to God for that. He, He gave me those ways of escape for temptation and I was able to take them. But also then if you come in and you know what, you've had a crappy week. Like you have, you've stunk it up in terms of behavior. Well, you know what? You come into the group and we say, you're just as valuable today as you've ever been in your life. Mm -hmm. Now, what can we do about those failures? We can learn from them. It's not, you're not, your value isn't based on those behaviors. So therefore, rather than you sinking into the floor and feeling like you're a worthless piece of crap, you can Mm -hmm. go, you know what? 
I'm still as valuable today as I was yesterday, but somehow I got off track from how I was supposed to steward my sexuality and how I was supposed to uh, steward my eyes and my mind. So what happened? And now together we can start unpacking kind of the process that led to wherever the acting out occurred without you feeling like you're less than because you did that. Does that make sense? Yes. And so I think that's, that's the, that's to us is the core uh, understanding of what a grace-based environment is. Now there's more to it than that, but that to me is the absolute basic level that you've got to understand that because of God's grace, you have a value that cannot change no matter what you do. Yeah. I love that. And I love the de-shaming aspect of it. Cause I think what I'm hearing you say, maybe not, not directly, but is it's that if you really take a grace-based approach, there's no room for shame. Like there's no room for shaming mm -hmm. the person because it's no longer based on your behavior. And I know you are a big believer, Jonathan, that fear and shame are really at the root of pretty much all unwanted sexual behavior. I don't know if that's maybe the, the expansion of that framework, but I am wondering if you can touch on that aspect of it and maybe tie it into a little bit of the grace-based kind of performance approach. Yeah, and this is why I would say it actually takes a really long time, longer than most people realize to finally find themselves comfortable in a grace-based environment. Hmm. I mean, sometimes people that are hearing this and they hear grace-based environment, they hear your worth never changes, your value never changes. There's something that starts to kind of light up in them and they're like, boy, I'd love to be in that environment. And then they find when they step into an actual grace-based environment, it's harder than they thought to let hmm. go of their pride, of their fear, of their shame. Because I've had guys over the years, Sathya, where, I mean, they come into the group and week after week after week, we are, you know, kind of beating this drum. You are just as valuable today as you've ever been in your life. And you can never be more valuable or less valuable than you are right now to God. And it's like some weeks they might receive that like 20%. <laughs> yeah. Other weeks, it's like they're totally resistant to it because whatever their behavior was that week, it's really hard to believe that because I think we have operated out of our fear and our shame for so long that even when the truth of our value being established by God's grace, his kindness towards us, it's really harder to receive than you might realize. Mm -hmm. And that's because I think the, the more we act out in these ways and the more we kind of build a library in our minds and, and kind of uh, wear these paths to our certain ways of acting out, Again, the false identity comes in. This must be who I am. This is just who I am. This is what I do because this is who I am. Yeah. And so then that grace-based message takes a lot longer for a guy to think, well, maybe maybe this isn't who I am. I've been behaving this way because I've had a lot of lies and shame and fear. The other big thing about fear, I think, is especially for men, I see this in a lot of men, we really struggle with the degree of vulnerability that is required for us to finally start unpacking our stories and our lives in the presence of other men. Hmm. Because I think rightly so, we really value how other men are going to see us and view us. Yeah. I think we all, as men, especially, we have this deep need for respect. We want somebody to look at us, especially another man, to look at us and say, man, I'm so proud of you. I really respect you for who you are. Yeah. And yet, if somebody says that to us and we're carrying a secret that is not something we want anybody to know, one, 
whatever message that guy's sending us to of respect is not going to land on our hearts because we're like, there's a wall there that says you don't actually know. And so there's a fear there of like, oh my goodness, what if I tell this guy that I've been looking at porn for years? Hmm. Now he's yeah. not going to have that respect for me, right? Well, if I have a grace-based environment that says, you know what? We're going to work through this together. Your value can't change. Then I think some of those fears can start to be melted. Some of that shame can start to be um, removed from us. But I would say it takes a long time. And I would say this, um, a grace-based recovery is harder than you think it will be. <laughs> it's not easy. And that's that's almost counterintuitive. It seems kind of ironic, right? That you'd say grace-based recovery is harder than performance-based recovery. Yeah, for sure. Because you kind of hear it and you think, oh, that sounds great. Like, I'm just going to be loved for who I am. All bets are off. The pressure's off. I can kind of do whatever I want. But it's the actual paradigm shift that that takes so long to, to take place. And uh, we all have habits, right? Like, whether we like it or not. I mean, that's why people are listening to this podcast. They formed habits they don't want and those those don't change overnight and neither do the thinking patterns that kind of led to them in the first place. Um, and I would say real quickly, the reason yeah. that it's harder is because grace-based recovery is going to lead you towards what I would say is real freedom, like true freedom from all the, the underlying strongholds of your addiction. Whereas a performance, the best a performance-based recovery can lead you to is simply abstinence from your behaviors. Yeah. And I'm not diminishing that there's value in not doing those addictive behaviors anymore. But yeah. I can't tell you how many guys over the years, and this is one of the reasons I wrote the book, Grace-Based Recovery, is I can't tell you how many guys over the years, they had been abstinent from their behaviors for maybe one, two, three years. Hmm. And yet every single one of them was like, but something's missing. Like, I still feel, I don't feel free. I still feel bound by something. And it's like, well, because now you've become addicted to recovery. Like I have to keep managing my recovery instead of going, what would it look like to go on a grace-based journey to really finally experience freedom? And don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that even in true freedom that you are never tempted anymore that, or that you could never stumble anymore. But there is a completely, there's a complete difference in terms of what happens internally, deep down in your guts yeah. to those who are free because they know that they are valuable to God versus those who remain unfree because they're still hanging on to that shame or they're hanging on to those fears. Yeah, very well said. And I, what I'm hearing kind of at the crux of all of this, and this is going back to what you said earlier, Jonathan, is it all sort of begins and ends with how you see God. Because like we're, you're talking about sort of embracing who we are, the fact that we are made in his image. And I think if you have a distorted view of God, that's really going to, it's just going to get you off on the wrong foot. You'll never be able to see yourself for who you truly are. For the person who's listening, who's saying, okay, th this, these frameworks are great. I definitely want the grace-based recovery approach. I understand that there's work involved, but I want to do it. But I just can't get over the fact that God could really see me that way or love me despite all I've done and everything else. What, what does it actually look like to, to see God for who he is and maybe to understand that he's not... He's not, you know, holding the, the, the disciplinary stick like shame on you. You should have done differently over us. How, how do you kind of break out of that? You know, I think sometimes the, sometimes we have so separated uh, who the Bible calls God the Father from Jesus that we think they're completely different like beings. In other words, we think they're, they're not even connected. 
Um, almost like, you know, God, the father is sort of the mean parent up in the sky that, you know, we're looking to, to paddle us or something like that. Oh yeah. I love Jesus, <laughs> meek and mild. You know, I love, I love Jesus. But, and the reality is that the Bible actually says that Jesus was the exact representation of the father. Right. So in other words, if you see Jesus, you're seeing the father. So I would say to that person, you know what, maybe spend some time just absorbing what Jesus did and said through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And just start to, and, and especially look to it, look to those Gospels with this in mind. What am I seeing about God, what am I seeing about how Jesus thinks of broken, sinful outcasts? Hmm. And just see what you discover. And I think what you'll find at the end of that search is you'll realize, you know what? He seeks out the broken, the sinful, the outcast. He doesn't just say, oh, you know, if I just happen to sort of run across that leper or just happen to run across that prostitute, yeah, I might have a kind word or might have. No, what you'll find out is he, he preferred to hang out with the broken, sinful outcast. And not in, not in a way that says, and you know what, I kind of want to, I want you to keep drowning in all of that brokenness, Hmm. but he brought both truth and grace. And I think if by, by then getting a real good sense of who Jesus is and realizing that he's the exact representation of the father, maybe you'll get a different perspective on how God thinks of you and how he sees you that he's not running away from you. He's actually continually pursuing you. He's running toward you. And one of the things that really made the difference for me, and I'll just share this as an example. This is not anything that I would project on anybody else, but in an example of how God did this in my own life, that was really, um, if I could put it this way, it's kind of unnerving and, and really uncomfortable for me, but it really helped me see the faithfulness and love and pursuit of God. And that is when I started my recovery, I'd always thought in my addiction that, man, whenever I was looking at porn or whenever I was going to, you know, into a hotel room to be with a prostitute or whatever, that in each of those acting out circumstances, almost on an emotional level, I just knew that, that God was outside the room. Like I just knew it, you know, because it's like no way would God be in here with me while I'm doing all these things. Well, as part of my recovery, God kind of took me on a, you know, this is your life tour back through my my addiction. And just through prayer and things like that, he was actually showing me, he took me through every single one of the instances that I could remember where I was looking at porn online or where I was, um, you know, acting out with another person. And he showed me in those uh, those memories, him being right next to me, like Mm. Jesus sitting next to me while I'm watching pornography, Jesus sitting on the end of the bed while I'm having sex with somebody who's not my wife, Jesus in the room with me. And I mean, at first I I seriously wanted to to throw up when some of these images started coming to mind because I was just so uh, distraught by that. Hmm. And, and, and yet what God was really ultimately gently trying to show me in that was he said, listen, I made a promise that I wouldn't leave you. Now, I know that your heart is fickle and that you can be faithless and that you can bail out on me all the time, but I keep my promises. And so I just want you to know that whatever you do, I go with you. And it, yeah. it, it radically changed my mind to the idea that could it be that based on grace, because I don't deserve that kind of presence, that kind of faithfulness from God, 
Could it be that he actually did like me, that he loved me, that he wanted to be with me in all of my crap and all of my brokenness? And that really started to radically change my own heart and view towards this idea of grace-based recovery, that if God's willing to be in the room with me when I'm doing all these things that I know are offensive to him, then maybe that means that there is a value that he's placed on me that is not based on my performance. Yeah. And that's what started to radically break down my heart in terms of shame and fear and pride and all of that. Wow, it's amazing, amazing. And you have, a, you have an incredible story to back it up as well, which I think um, it, it certainly adds to what you're doing because we all know it's just different when you've been through it. And, um, and I think that was a really, really helpful way of putting it. Thank you, Jonathan. I know people are going to want to connect with you guys. You, you offer so many different things. I mean, you have groups and you've written books and you obviously have your leadership summit. You have the podcast. Uh, what are what are some of the best ways for maybe maybe you can give us like some of the main ways that people can kind of just get get their relationship started with you guys, so to speak, if they did want to check you out and connect with you a little bit further? Yeah, so the, the easiest way is just to go to BeBroken.com in terms of being able to ultimately get access to everything. Cool. I would also highlight, especially for... Um, you know, for the, the guys who might be listening that, that they're saying, hey, I, I would like to maybe get a little bit more on track towards a life of sexual integrity. Um, we do have our 40 uh, day online course um, yes. that just that's a helpful thing for any guys who might be wanting to do that. Um, and that that can also be found on our main men's resources page. Because at our website, there's main sections of men, women, families. And so under the resource page for men, you can find that. But yeah, BeBroken.com is where anybody can go to get any information on us. Cool, cool. Um, I want to ask you one last question, Jonathan. You've been doing this for about 20 years now. I'm wondering what you envision for the next 20 years in the space of porn and sex addiction recovery. Yeah. Well, when I say this to some of my pastor friends, they sort of, they don't know what to do because they kind of roll their eyes or they're like, is that some kind of weird, weird dream or what? I, I actually believe, and you know, I could always be wrong on this. I'm not, I'm not a prophet, <laughs> but I actually, I actually believe that um, there is great uh, possibility of massive revival in the church. That's going to come through sexual wholeness ministries. Wow. And here's the reason why I believe that there will always at some point be a breaking, uh, a breaking point for when a culture or an individual just starts to uh, kind of go hog wild, just kind of starts to, to go after every desire of their heart, because we were not, uh, we're not created in our frailty to be able to handle um, the complete knowledge that only God can have. And, and not to get too theological, but I really believe that when in when uh, sin entered the world, um, it was because we as humans had a desire for knowledge that we were not to have. We were only meant to know good. And yet, because our hearts wanted to also know evil, there seems to be an insatiable appetite that we just want to know, no, no, I want to know more. I want to know more. No, I want to know more that I was never meant to know. Yeah. And I think that means that there's going to be a certain point psychologically, emotionally, spiritually that that we're we're broken. Hmm. And that I think opens the door for opportunity for those who are standing in this gap of ministry that are saying, "Hey, you know what? There's a better way. I would hmm. love to be able to 
to take you on this path and show you a better way. And so I think there's great hope actually in the future for when those breaking points happen in either an individual's life, in a local community's life, even in a nation's life. Mm-hmm. So I'm all about over this next 20 years, continuing to try to raise up as many leaders as we can in this space, because I think as, you know, as Jesus said, the, the, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. So yeah. we need more labors in the space, but that's what I think. I think there's hope and I think there's going to be revival that comes through sexual purity ministries. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Jonathan, thank you so much for uh, just your time today, uh, your wisdom and your insight. And thanks for everything you guys are doing at Be Broken and, and PSR. Like I said, you guys are forerunners in this area and, um, and we really do look up to you and, and everything you guys got going on. So thank, thanks again for being here, man. Thank you, Sathya. We love uh, being able to connect with you guys and anything we can do to keep helping uh, you do what you're doing. We're happy to do it. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Well, that was my interview with Jonathan Darty. I hope you were blessed by that. Uh, as you can see, he's, uh, he's a simple man, but really a lot of wisdom to offer. And um, the depth of experience really comes through. And, and it's actually pretty rare. Like the guys that are generally in this space have been, you know, they've been doing their podcast or their blog for three, four, five years. Some guys you meet, they've been doing it, you know, five to 10 years, which is really impressive. Um, but when it's kind of like that 10 to 15, 15 plus range, there's very few people. And I'm, I'm just so grateful and really honored that I got to connect with him. I really would encourage you to check out some of their stuff. They have a lot of free resources. His, um, his podcast is excellent. And the, the event is really fantastic as well. And that, that event does target people more like me who run a ministry or an organization that serves people in this area, but um, anybody could benefit. We'll put all the links in the show notes. And, um, and then they also have the 40 Days to Purity Challenge. So it's all there, guys. Please go check their stuff out. Um, like I said, it's very affordable, very accessible, and I think you'll be really blessed by it. That's everything for today. Have an amazing day, guys. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey everybody, it's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you left a rating or review on your podcast platform. Now, I want to take this final moment to invite you to something that I'm really excited about, our deep clean VIP community. Here's the deal. We saw that in this space of manhood, sexuality, and faith, there are a lot of unasked questions. They range from relationships to sex to male anatomy, calling, career, and everything in between. We create a deep clean VIP for men like you who want regular coaching from me, VIP access to our podcast guests where you get to interact with some of the world's leading experts in men's health, a monthly seminar, and a community of men from around the world pursuing success in life and integrity in sexuality. Deep Clean VIP provides answers to your deepest questions, hope for a full recovery, and the necessary tools to make that full recovery a reality. If you're ready to take things to the next level, I want you to stop what you're doing right now and sign up for Deep Clean VIP at www.sathiasam.com slash deepcleanvip. The link is in the show notes, but let me give it one more time. That's www.sathiasam.com slash deepcleanvip. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. 